And now, for the first time in color, the 38th Academy Award. And welcome back to The Snub Club. You know, with any truly great motion picture, the only thing that dates it really are the fashions of the time. The podcast with the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. This is the night devoted to one man, Oscar. Hello, and welcome back to the Snub Club, the podcast where we talk about the movies that have the most Oscar noms and no wins whatsoever. I am your host, Danny Vincent. Uh, and let me tell you what the world needs now is for me to introduce the rest of my co-hosts, or they can introduce themselves, I guess. That's what true love is, is knowing trust in one another. All right, well, it's Sarah and Mary, and... And Caleb. Caleb and Ted. Caleb and Danny. Caleb and Danny. Caleb and Danny. We do have a special guest. She's in here. See, I, I should have thought because I really wanted to do something movie? like that with the name too, but I was like, well, there's only three of us. But there you go, you got Mary with you. So <laughs> Mary, give two barks if you thought Elliot Gould's character was insufferable. Mary, can you speak? Speak. Speak. Caleb's already mm-hmm. dropping um controversial <laughs> takes even before I did. I'm just asking show. Mary. I'm just like asking Mary's opinion. All right. Now, I know everyone's wondering what we're talking about today, in case they didn't notice, you know, the episode title. Well, let me tell you, we're at the 42nd Academy Awards. This is 1969, the end of the 60s, meaning Caleb is going to have to put together a new theme song for next week or next time, which is okay because we're recording this a month in advance, so I'll have plenty of time to put it together. Um, and I will still wait till the day before. <laughs> but... The leader of the nominations with 10 nominations was Anne of the Thousand Days. It only won one Best Costume Design. Then the film with, there was a film with nine nominations called They Shoot Horses, Don't They? It only won one Best Supporting Actor for Gig Young. Then there was the film... Then the next few films that I'm going to mention are all like actual classic. Well, I think... Actually, sorry, not to cut off myself. I think I've heard of all these movies besides Anne of the Thousand Days. I've heard of every other movie I'm about to list including They Shoot Horses, don't they? But with seven nominations was Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. It won the most, most of the night. It won four. It won Best Original Screenplay, Best Original Score for George, George Delure, Delure. I don't know his name. Uh, best Original Score. Uh, best Original Song, of course, for Raindrops Keep Falling on Our Head, which was not written for Spider-Man 2, despite me saying that it should have been nominated for Best Original Song for Spider-Man 2. Uh, and then Best Cinematography went to Butch Cassidy as well. Then there's a film that I'll talk about a bit in our historical um, Oscar, you know, history uh, called Midnight Cowboy that had seven nominations. It won three. Best Picture, Best Director for John Schlesinger, and Best Adapted Screenplay. There was another film with seven nominations, three wins, and that was Hello, Dolly. It won Best Musical Score, Best Sound, and Best Art Direction. Then this is interesting, I think. I mean, this um, a film called Z had five nominations. It won two. This is, I believe, our first multiple nomination, our, our first multiple film movie, you know, our first film to win multiple Oscars, where one of them is for a language film and the other is film editing. Um, or at least multiple Oscars where we'd mentioned it in this countdown. There might have been like a Fellini or something that I'm unaware of that 
maybe had less nominations, but still won too. But anyway, so then we get to a film of four nominations and no wins, and that is Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice. Sarah, what was Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice nominated for? Um, so it was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for Elliot Gould, uh, Best Supporting Actress for Diane Cannon. Uh, she was nominated two more times for Best Supporting Actress and Best Live Action Short Film. Um, Best Original Screenplay for Paul Mazorski and Larry Tucker. They lost to William Goldman for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, Mazorski was nominated four more times. And Best Cinematography for Charles Lang, who lost to Conrad Hall for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Uh, he was nominated 16 more times and won one for A Farewell to Arms in 1934. Nice. Caleb, do you have any historic context, or should I talk about the ceremony first? Uh, there's this thing called the sexual revolution. Uh, I feel like everyone probably already knows about it. If not, it's pretty obvious. There's a revolution in how people saw sex, and it definitely affected this movie. Uh, I'll tell you this. This was the first Oscars to be broadcast by satellite to an international audience. However, only Mexico and Brazil got it live. Now, the actual thing I was referring to earlier that was a little important or cool is that Midnight Cowboy is the only X-rated film to win Best Picture. Um, it is also only one other, there's only one other film, X-rated film, that was nominated for Best Picture, and that was A Clockwork Orange. Um, Although both Midnight Cowboy and A Clockwork Orange has become R-rated now because the X-rating has been retired. I was curious. I was trying to find information on if Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice was X-rated, but I couldn't. I believe it was just R at the time. But also it's hard to find like old MPAA ratings, you know, unless it's like Midnight Cowboy where it's like, of course it was X-rated. That was like its historic thing. This is the first time every acting nomination was in color. Uh, and this is the last time for until the 68th Academy Awards, which is about, you know, like 20 years from now, 1966, where none of the, um, so all four winning performances were not um, from Best Picture nominees. Like the acting performance, none of them were nominated for Best Picture. And they shoot horses, don't they? Set a record, by the way, uh, with nine nominations of out being nominated for Best Picture. Uh, this later is tied by Poseidon Adventure and uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And I believe they still hold that record um i'm not entirely sure but you know it's really hard nowadays for a movie to rack up a lot of nominations and no best picture nom because you know we have the uh weird rules at the academy now with 10 nominations for best picture not really it just says that fred astaire tried to dance at the ceremony which it was the first time he danced on uh i believe uh, on the broadcast for the academy awards i don't know it's, uh, it seems like a pretty boring academy awards honestly not a lot of cool stuff happened you guys want to talk about Bob and Carol Bob and Ted? I always get, I'm Alice. getting the names mixed up. I did too, but then I saw the movie and then it just kept being repeated to me over and over again when I was like, excuse me, one, two, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, please. I did actually want to say something about this before we introduce the movie is that the director has actually appeared on our podcast before because I've caught up on our spreadsheets. We have no new additions to the Five Tyrants Club since our, my uh, thing, but Paul Mazursky who directed this, and I believe has a cameo in it, um, had a decent-sized supporting role in Blackboard Jungle. I don't know. He was a character named Emmanuel, so I think he might have been one of the other teachers. 
But I just thought it was interesting to be like, oh, okay, this guy's popped up before. Even though I think he is more famous for being a director because he directed um, An Unmarried Woman after this, which is a pretty... It's a movie I've heard of, you know? If I've heard of the movie, I assume it's, uh, you know, important. But yeah. This was his directorial debut also. Interesting, I didn't realize that. This was his... Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice was his directorial debut. Sorry. Uh, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice is a movie about uh, two couples. Bob and Carol go to this kind of uh, like couples therapy retreat type thing and have a come to Jesus moment. And they decide they're going to be open and honest about everything. And they uh, bug their friends, Ted and Alice, about it continually um, until it ends up with them having a rather unsexy orgy. Uh, that's that's as much of the plot synopsis as I want to give. Oh yeah, it's a it's pretty episodic film, I'd say. What'd you guys uh, think of it? Or should I go first since I have to go? Why don't you go first? Okay. I thought Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice was a good, not great movie, but good movie. It definitely feels like, you know, we were talking about this with being told blood. This is when movies are starting to more appear become what I think of when I think of like, you know, the 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 time of the graduate, right? Where this is like about complicated people, but it's also like a kind of breezy dramedy where it's okay it lets characters be quiet and be sad, but then you get good bits like Elliot Gold being like, I wanna I just want a water. No, you have to order a taco. And it's like, ah, I love stuff like this. This is like modern stuff. Uh, I think all four of the leads are pretty good. I'd say there's Maybe one I don't like as much as the rest of them. Um, and I say that by performance, not by character. Um, but I don't know. I thought it was like a nice movie. I like Elliot Gold. I like Natalie Wood. Um, like in general, not necessarily in this, but even though I do like them both in this. But like those are two actors I always like seeing in things. And yeah, I know. I just had a good time with it. Um, I also saw it. Uh, I said this. Uh, I think. I don't know if I said it on mic, actually. I saw this in a theater uh, by us. Uh, it was very conveniently timed that it was right around when we were doing this episode. So they were playing it in 35 millimeter at Doc Films in Chicago. Um, a nice little, it's actually in the University of Chicago. It's basically honestly like a lecture hall, but they like have like 30, 35 millimeter prints occasionally. And so I was like, ooh, yeah, cool. Let me go see this with a crowd. And people laughed at once. Sarah, what'd you think of it? Um, I didn't like it. (laughs) I just, I don't know. I felt like every scene is a relatively short movie. It's an hour and 45 minutes. I just felt like every scene went on way too long, which I think is classic late 60s comedy. It just feels like, it feels like a movie to me wants to have a lot to say but it just doesn't really and it just I don't know it's it's definitely not as you know progressive as I think people as I think it's not as progressive as they presented it to be which is probably the point but it just was kind of a slog personally you know when Danny told me we were going to watch a comedy about a polyamorous uh, group, I got excited. I got to say, all the all the descriptions of it saying that, which are everywhere online, is 
not accurate. That's like the end of the movie, you know? Like that, that is the ending. But go on, sorry. It, no, it was just, uh, that's not what I got. And I was uh, a little disappointed. But even when it became obvious that that's not what I was, what I was going to get and I was adjusting, I just, man, I don't like these characters. And when you have a movie that's so slight on everything except for conversations, you gotta you gotta have some sympathy or investment in the characters, which I did not have. I I despised almost everyone in this movie. Wow. That's such a I don't know. I feel like that's usually like my take with something like this, but here I was like, I didn't like I didn't like Bob, to be honest. I was like, I was like, I like three out of four of them. I didn't like Bob. The other ones I all thought were interesting and flawed. And yeah, Elliot Gold's character is kind of a jerk, but I thought it was interesting how he was a jerk. But anyway, this is a movie where um, I don't know. I, I don't know. It's just got like some nice. I feel like there was one moment in it um, where I knew I feel like I don't want to be like, this is where it makes or breaks the movie because I feel I don't want to be like, this is where it must have broken for you guys. But I feel like it's going to sound like that. But it's when Natalie Gold, not Natalie Gold, Natalie Wood uh, finds out that Bob had the affair and she's like, Oh, I'm so glad you told me. I'm not mad about it at all. And it's like, I was like, if anyone, I, I feel like this is like the type of performance where she's playing this and I'm buying it. And I feel like it'd be very hard for, I feel like a lot of other actors would play it somewhat sarcastically. And I don't think she does. And I was like, okay, I'm enjoying this. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> no, I, I think out of all of them, I want. I do want to say. I think all the performances are good. I don't think the actors are the, necessarily the problem here. And I do think Natalie Wood is very good in that scene. I think that is still early enough in the movie where I wasn't fully irritated. I. I think. I think what got me with these characters is how insistent Bob and Carol are at the beginning that um, Ted and Alice have to like have to start adhering to their mountaintop experience, which just, you know, the whole, the whole beginning reminded me of like, you go to youth camp in the summer and you, you cry on the last night because there's manipulative worship songs played. And then you go home and like certain people hold on to their experience a little bit longer and they get mad at you. If you don't, that's kind of what the beginning reminded me of. I get that, I, and I have, I have that experience too, and I get that. But I also just think it's very funny to compare it to this. <laughs> They're very different, but fundamentally the same. Yeah, I thought. What, what, sir? What? Shaking your head? No, no. no oh. I was just. I, I had a chill. I was like, oh, oh, okay, my bad. I was so excited to it hear what you ghost. had to say. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> I was going. I don't. I think to me, the compelling part, and I think the movie realizes too, I think the Ted and Alice storyline is very intriguing to me. And I know you guys are like, these guys are unlikable. But to me, it feels kind of like, I don't know, it feels like when I went to school, right? And I grew up around conservative people my whole life. And then here's an ideology that I feel inherently trained to oppose. And then you're being forced to confront that your friends are okay with it. And it's just so like, 
initially radical and then you're like oh i want to go along with this but there's still like that bizarre like old guilt with you i don't know i thought this movie was very compelling when it was specifically about alice i thought ted was a bit of a schlub but that's okay because elliot gold can sell me on it but i thought alice was the most compelling character in this film uh i think uh there are moments in this movie where it I actually thought it was weird we saw our therapist that, that I just like this is weird to see this in this movie that she goes to therapy and no one else does and we see her therapist and I don't know that was kind of like not it wasn't weird to me that she went to therapy it was weird that the movie would have her go to therapy and no one else go to therapy does that make sense I mean no we kind of saw them go to therapy at the beginning when they were at the institute I mean, I don't think Ted would be the kind of guy who would go to therapy. Um, and then I think Bob and Carol have their own way of like dealing with their interiority. So I think it makes sense, especially like, because this isn't like you compare this therapist to the beginning with the, uh, with the Institute and you can start like really buying into like the, the fundamental differences between like Bob and Carol and Alice and how they see the world with how they approach therapy. Now it is, it is definitely says also something about them that all three of them would be willing to go to some form of therapy in the late sixties. Um, but I, I don't know. I think it makes sense. All right. Do you guys, I, I don't want to be like, can you, I mean, I like the movie most, can you guys leave the discussion a bit? Because I watched the movie four days ago. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm not trying to be rude here. But it's like, all right. like. <laughs> well, I think there's a struggle there because like me and Sarah watched it today. And I, I don't know about how you watch these movies, Sarah. But like I watched them on the day of to keep it in mind, like to keep things fresh. But that often means that like I don't have time to fully like digest everything. Um, I don't know, Sarah. Do you have a have you had that experience? Um, sometimes I wouldn't say with this movie. I think I get what you're saying. I just, I don't, I just don't feel like there's a lot to this movie. I feel like it doesn't really have that much to say. I feel like I don't know. I just don't really connect with it. I don't find it very, I mean, I thought it was somewhat engaging, like it wasn't boring to watch, but it was just. I don't know. It just feels like I don't know. It just wasn't my movie. Do you think either of you that having a third couple in this would help? Not like directly related in the drama, but just getting like an outside perspective on things? Mm, I don't know. I think if anything, it might be not a couple, but maybe we spend more time with Horse or the lady from San Francisco. I think that might be something that helps flesh this out more instead of just hearing about their affairs later. Um, but then I also think in specifics, uh, I don't think we need to follow like the affair in Florida, really. I think leaving that vague and then it being a reveal at the end is fine. And I don't, I think it might be weird to like flesh out Horst and the San Francisco lady and not them. And also I could see in the argument being like, this movie is supposed to be about four of them. If we do that, 
it doesn't really flesh it. I do also. It, it's the type of thing where I think this movie is a nice lean 100 minutes. So I'm like, I don't know how you add that stuff without losing what is here. You know what I mean? Like, because I'd still want it to be about 100 minutes, right? Like, I, I think that's a good runtime for what this is. Yeah, I can. I, I definitely think the runtime shouldn't be affected. But I do wonder, even if it isn't like a full blown couple, if maybe there's just a little bit more uh, thematic stuff with the side characters, like maybe some of the friends at the birthday party, maybe even like you continue the when they're at the restaurant, you can continue the exploration of what the people at the restaurant are thinking about. I think that's something that is going to. I don't. I don't want to make this comparison because I know it's going to immediately get like revulsion from you two for fair reasons. But I feel like what you're talking about is more like what Woody Allen would start doing like when he appears on the scene in a couple of years after this. You know, that is like a Woody Allen move to be like, here's what other people are talking about. Here's like a Greek chorus type of thing, you know? Um, and of course, like, I could also like, compare it to like when Harry met Sally or stuff like that. But like, you know, we're in the era of when Woody Allen is going to basically, at least in the mainstream, invent that type of thing you're talking about, where it's like, we're going to see what other people are thinking about this idea at the same time. Um, and like I don't I have a note here actually I did make it well because I wrote my review right after I saw it you know because I always do that and my review mentioned something that I wanted to mention which is to me this feels like I don't want to be like this is night this is entirely like the most of the era movie we've seen but I feel like this movie comes out three years earlier or three years later it's a totally different movie I feel like it very much captures the end of the sixties. Uh, and like what ideas were like finally getting into like a mainstream Hollywood movie, which is like what what is free sex? What is an orgy? What like these are all viable options. And I feel like you know, you know, seventies come around like that's not as much, or it is a different thing. It's not really like the hip thing anymore. It's like what the hippies do type of thing. You know, uh, it's I think it's interesting. I think this is a movie that could only come out. This like in 1969, 1968, maybe 1970, you know, that era. This, and I think that is what makes it cool. And I also think it also just kind of captures, like, as I already, I already mentioned the scene where they go to a fast food like drive through, and I was like, this is great. I love seeing stuff like this in old movies where it's like the type of joke, like, I think I just popped in my head is like, you know, the big sick came out like now. Oh my gosh, that movie is more than five years old, but um, that, that movie is, I would consider a contemporary movie, it has an entire comedic set piece about them ordering at a drive-thru and here this is in 1969 and it's like i don't know i i I think there's something there where it's like this is like a contemporary movie and i feel like yeah we've seen contemporary movies before in this podcast but all of them are kind of in the vert not aiming for the naturalism this is aiming for i feel like the comedic naturalism specifically i just feel like I don't know. The movie that I compare it to, I guess, is probably The Graduate. But I feel like I just keep going back to what this movie is about. And I just feel like it starts to have that late 60s cynicism. And the humor, like, sort of wants to go there. But I feel like it just totally fizzles out. Like, to me, my interpretation is like, this is a bad idea. And they're just trying to be something that they're not. And that's just like how I read it. 
I just feel like it never, it just doesn't commit to that idea for me one way or the other. Like, I think, I don't know. I guess the ending is like, oh, I guess, you know, they still love each other. They just want to do something different or whatever. But Did it you just... read about the uh, the original ending on Wikipedia? I'm just curious. Did you or no? Yes. Okay. I did not. Should I say it, Sarah, or do you want to say it? Go ahead. I have it open, which is the original draft ended with the four characters crying in their each other's arms after they gave up on the orgy, and then they pulled themselves together to head to the Tony Bennett show. And then uh, they wanted to aim... They, they changed it because the quote from the director is... Because people at the time said the ending was a cop-out, that it becomes a fantasy song sequence where all these people come out and are loving each other. And he said... The easiest thing in the world would have been to show those four making it together in that bed. They came already to us that these four people in these circumstances couldn't ever have possibly done it. I mean, I get that they could have done it. I just, they couldn't have done it. I just feel like, I don't know if it, I don't know. I just, especially for Ted and Alice, I don't know if it would have reaffirmed their relationship. It just feels like, I don't know. I'm probably just reading it the way that I want to read it. I mean, I just and I think it's in the performances too. I think about that's why I really like Alice. I don't think I think Alice is doing that last scene out of the movie like plays the world needs now is love to like give it a happy ending. But to me, she's playing that entire sequence as like a desperate like I guess my husband along with this idea I guess I have to type of thing. I think I feel that's like how she's the calling. Plays it. To me, it seems like she's calling their bluff. Like she's yeah. like, why don't we just do it? And just to see how far it'll go. And she's the one who, at the end, is still moving forward. She's the last one to stop. So, I don't know. I I don't know. I sort of wish there was more, like, bitterness to it. I just can't see these people being friends after this. And I think the idea is that they are. I definitely, I think it's one of those things where, I would agree. I would say after this. I could see Bob and Carol trying to make the friendship work, but then the other two just, I think the other two are going to go to counseling or like, you know, or at least try to get Ted to go to counseling and it's not going to work out, right? Uh, I do think that ambiguity is important because like, you know, I kind of offhandedly mentioned the sexual revolution at the time, but like, I think there was a lot of ambiguity in the air and a lot of, once you get kind of, um, a little bit further into the 70s, a lot of definitely questioning, and that will have started in the late 60s, questioning kind of the ideals of the hippie movement that had uh, that had trickled down into more uh, mainstream American thought. But I think I think that's kind of the problem here is like there is there is too much ambiguity there, so the film kind of lacks uh, anything to say. And I don't think it would need something to say if it explored this from multiple angles, but it really doesn't. Like, it, yeah, it explores it from the angles of these two couples. And they're, I don't know, they're like upper class, you know. <laughs> I did have that upper thought class, white, that these hetero are, people. These are like, this is such like a, this is such a like, I say this as everyone on this podcast is a white person. Uh, like, like everyone in this room right now is, uh, but this is such a white people problems movie. <laughs> I mean, they're going to a Tony Bennett concert. Yeah, it's very white. Well, I think that's Which the... doesn't mean it's bad. It's just, it's like, man. <laughs> it's who, on like a maybe... box too appears in the club in one scene. 
Oh uh, yeah, I did see that. I saw yeah. him. Oh, I recognized. I, I him. forgot to look from because I saw it in theater, but I know I looked beforehand because I, uh, Caleb, if you don't know, Bill Cosby is in this movie. Uh, so I, I can't give him more than three stars on principle. Yeah, yeah. He's in the I background. Just, you can go up to three and a half. <laughs> I just feel like I don't know. I like it's not. I guess that's my thing. Is I feel like to me, I wanted Natalie Wood and Robert Cole to be like being ironic. Like I wanted them to be actually pissed. And it's like, all of a sudden they're like, oh, it's such a good thing. And it's like, there's never that like satire that I'm expecting where it's, it's like these, these hippie, like white, rich, like holistic peace and love people. I feel like they could have easily in this period, in this era, like parodied that and satirized it. And I feel like it's almost like, I don't know. I just feel like they get, these people just have it too easy. That's what I think. See, I agree to an extent, but I also think that Bob and Carol are very interested in this movie just because how the movie doesn't really satirize them or even really judge them for like trying this out. I feel like, Alice and Ted's reaction when they find out about the fair is more what I expect from a movie in general, like a Hollywood movie in general. To be like, oh my god, these people did this, and the fact that I think the fact that the movie always avoids real conflict with them, other than when you know when Bob's being a hypocrite and he's like, oh wait, you don't actually love him? That's fine then, you know. Uh, I I think that's interesting, and I did have that thought though. I had that thought multiple times while watching this. Is you know how like uh well you know we're all in our generation uh we can't afford to buy houses and stuff like that and then in this movie uh, I don't remember what Carol's job is but Bob is just a documentary filmmaker and he can afford a huge house like that and I was just like all right like I guess this is like the time when like everything was affordable for white people he's also yeah. like twenty years older than her yeah that too and very successful like. He's, a, he's still a, a documentary he, filmmaker. I don't think do- I hate to be like documentary filmmakers are like. I think you're th- like, but he's doing like TV stuff, so like it's a consistent. Like I saw Nightcrawler. It's not like Jake Gyllenhaal was getting paid. Okay, I think you're. I think you're putting too much of like the contemporary idea of the independent documentary filmmaker on. I this. think though, even in the past, I think I he's think very clearly in the, in the industry. News, it's like it's a steady job. I don't think it's like a glamorous job. You know what I mean? It's not like. It's not like he's like Steven Snow, or he's not like Steven Spielberg coming off of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, it's, he's just a documentary filmmaker. Well, he's like, who makes stuff I think for the, the idea news. is he's like Ken Burns. He's like a PBS filmmaker. I could see that, but I also. But I, I also don't, don't know. I don't think it's, the movie I, gets into it enough for I mean, me to that's, be like, I mean, that's the thing is like, he's not, you know, he just, it's a different time period. Um, yeah, I, you know. I I think I, I hate to just rewrite the movie, but if you're gonna start tackling like polyamory and having an open relationship and stuff like that, I feel like you do need to have more conversations around the boundaries there. And if not, like this movie doesn't, if they're just like full out, we're just gonna completely open this up, no rules, then you need to that's where any satire could come in. But I don't know. I also think 
it might be interesting if at the end, the confessions they make to each other isn't that I want to have sex with your wife and your wife wants to have sex with me. It's, hey, Ted, I think, uh, you know, Bob's telling Ted, it's like, hey, I think I don't want to have sex with you. And then that freaking Ted out. Like, I think there is more you could push against. This all seems so... See, I, so safe. I'm to rewrite it. Not, I know you said let's not rewrite it. I think it'd be more interesting if Ted wants to have sex with Bob because Bob is the one who's always like, yeah, free love for everything, right? I think that I, yeah. I know. I know. I'm just like critiquing your rewrite. It's not like this is yeah, like a just, serious discussion. But I'm like, if there Ted could being freaked be, out is like what I expect of Ted. You know? Yeah. I mean, this ain't the movie, so yeah. I won't. I won't like. Let's not. Let's not. Yeah. Let's not rewrite the script for free. But I, I feel like there, there could have been a more interesting perspective taken than what we got. Well, I think this concept of polyamory versus an open relationship, um, and I guess it depends on who you talk to, but I feel like polyamory implies some level of commitment with multiple people and like actual affection and love versus an open relationship is just sex. And I feel like the movie tries to kind of differentiate the two at the end because obviously the orgy doesn't work because there is love there. But I kind of wish that it just went all out and just showed the sex. I feel like that would be way more radicalized. I feel like I'm not like in the affairs. Like I just feel like like we I want to see what these people feel like they're missing out on and what is contributing to these decisions. I think. Yes. I also would agree in the sense that the movie does go out of its way to make a very explicit point in that sequence when Bob discovers Horst and being like, there is a difference in these. Uh, the, the important thing about these affairs is that they're not love. They're just you're going out with someone that you want to have sex with, right? Like, that is the purpose of that. In Ergo, the way the movie ends keeps it way too... I know we said ambiguous. I'm never going to really fight against ambiguity because I generally like ambiguity endings. But if the point was like these people love each other too much to make the like loveless part of the affair work, I think that should have been more, you know, that should have been the ending of the movie, you know, like that would have given the whole movie a point rather than them going out to go just dance in the street. Yeah, I feel like even then, like, the movie, I don't know, I think it's weird and interesting that Bob and Carol are the main characters. I feel like it's very much an ensemble. Um, But I feel like even in the end, it just reaffirms their relationship. And I feel like Ted and Alice, I mean, I said this before, but I feel like Ted and Alice have so many problems. And it's just kind of like, all right, well, what are they going to do? I, I do I, I I think Ted and Alice are so much more interesting to me as characters than Bob and Carol, personally. I find the Bob and Carol stuff like it's occasionally funny, but Ted and Alice like has drama where I'm like, yeah, these guys aren't gonna this isn't gonna work out for them. And I find that very compelling. Um Alice more so than Ted. Um, because I don't really like that scene when Ted's like on the airplane thinking about the other woman, even though I get like the point of it. Uh but I don't know. I, I definitely find them more compelling than Bob and Carol, you know, experimenting around. Um, 
what do y'all think about the comedy? Because I'll be honest, I didn't find really any of it funny, but I think that's also because like comedy isn't always my my favorite genre because like if I'm watching a movie by myself, I'm just gonna kind of stare blankly. Like so much of so much of comedy is to explain why it with Caleb, people. Uh, hates the new Wes Anderson movie. Um, which is 3.5 out of 5, which is a F on the Wes Anderson scale. Um, I'm sorry, I'm joking. I'm bidding. Um, I don't know. I thought it was funny at points. I already mentioned the scene I liked with the fast food. Um, I think the sequence, the scenarios they're put in is, are more like hypothetically funny than they are actually funny. Uh, if that makes sense, like I really do like the dynamic of them panicking on the way home after finding out they've had an affair, having seen like you know Carol be like, "Oh, I'm so glad you told me," and just seeing. I, I think that is funny to me, like in theory, but it's like it just does kind of go a bit long. Uh, I found I don't know. This was a movie where I felt like when it was try- it was trying to be funny, but I just found Alice and to a lesser extent Ted to be very like sad characters, which made them very compelling to me. Um, where the funny stuff happening to them just made me feel bad for them, if that makes sense, which got me more invested in their story. But yeah, I don't necessarily think it was super funny, if that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't really think it was funny. I feel like this era, and leading into the 70s as well, to an extent, is so like deadpan. And I feel like it just... I don't know, like things just went on for too long. And then it's like, I feel like this entire movie was supposed to be wacky, but I just didn't think that it was funny. I don't know. It just, it was not, it tried. I could tell when it was trying to be funny. I just felt like it was too, the bits were just too long. And it just, again, I feel like it, it didn't fully commit. And I'm not asking for like airplane. But I feel like just maybe a little more, a little more funny stuff, maybe. Even like the scene at the Institute, I felt like was funny, but it also like the tone of that like carried over for the rest of the film. And we were supposed to kind of take that as like, oh, yeah, this makes sense. This is what they're doing. Like it wasn't like that. I feel like that was like an opportunity for them to like, you know, kind of joke around in this situation i feel like even like i don't know i feel like bob and carol were presented as like the straight men and then we were kind of there with them as an audience and then we kind of got left behind yeah i mean I, this all right joe you should keep that entire long pause in just to put out the listeners no you shouldn't um i mean i thought i mean i was talking for a while no, you're good. I just, I'm tapped out. I, yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to even really, you know, I just, I feel like this movie, I had an idea of what it was going to be, and I feel like everybody else has an idea of what it's going to be, and it's... I, I do think it has a weird reputation over the years that it's like, it's the origin movie, and it's like, they don't yeah. even really do it at the end, you know? <laughs> like, What was the audience reaction like, Danny, when you saw it? Well, first off, let me be very clear. Uh, Doc Films, as I said, um, so here's the uh, Chicago art house scene. The music box is obviously the prime jewel. 
I went to sold-out screenings of Royal Tenenbaums at Grand Budapest Hotel last week there. Then, after, it's the Gene Siskel Center, where the audience is never going to be super reactionary, but it generally is pretty crowded. And then there's everywhere else. And so Doc Films is basically like, as I said, it's basically the University of Chicago's screening room where they open it to the public because they have 35 millimeter prints. Um, I've only been there a couple times and I would say it was basically like a lecture hall and there was maybe 20 other people there. So although there was an audience, I would say that the moments that got laughters or like smirks were like pretty quiet just because it wasn't crowded. Also, I saw in Letterboxd that the previous day screening, they projected it wrong somehow because uh, it said that there uh, no one could hear anything at the first. I was glad I went the second day because I was fine on the audio. But on the first day, everyone was like, I couldn't understand a word they were saying. So they must have misprojected it. My only real comment on the screening I was going to have is that I don't know what either your real experiences are with um, prints, like 35 millimeter prints. If it's low, it's fine. But, you know, there's the real shifts, right, which are normally like at logical points. This movie had weird real shifts where it'd be like in the middle of a conversation and there was a ver- major varying of diff- like quality of the reels. Where like the complete color tone of the movie would shift in between like a second of dialogue because of it. Um, but also it was it was it was a fine. It was like a good experience. I was glad to see it there because I think I might have struggled with it more. In general, I I probably you know me being positive on the movie also might just be that I saw it you know at the um, you know at the music box not at the music box at Doc Films. Uh, I'm always can get more into a movie that way. Makes sense. Yeah. Alrighty. Wanna do our nominations? Yeah, Sarah, what was this nominated for? Uh Best Supporting Actor for Elliot Gould, Best Supporting Actress for Diane Cannon, Best Original Screenplay, and Best Cinematography. I like both the performances. I gotta go Diane Cannon. I think she's the heart of this movie. And I think she does a lot with like her little glances aside or moments where she sits quietly and processes something that I think it is a very good performance. Uh, yeah, gotta go for her. Um, I will also give it to Diane Cannon. I feel like this is a genre of woman that doesn't usually get awards recognition. And I think it's interesting that she lost to uh Goldie Hawn. Oh, I was gonna mention that too. I've seen Cactus Flower. I think she's better. I I, I do think Dan Cannon is a better performance personally. But sorry. But it on. is kind of like that ditzy blonde sort of yeah. sidekick woman that you don't really see getting that sort of rec well, I guess Jennifer Lawrence in a, in American Hustle, but you know, that she type win, of role. At least she didn't. Yeah. So yeah, I'll give it to her. Yeah, she's going to get it from all three of us. Um, Ellie Gould's fine, but it's nothing I haven't, you know, it's, did the exact same thing in MASH. Um, he's very good at playing a sleazeball. But Diane Cannon had like a lot more opportunities to react to things, and her character goes through the most like shifts and changes out of anyone in the movie. So I feel like she has the most uh, most to dig into, and she does a very good job digging into it. Can I just say, guys, I have great news, is that Elliot Gold is still alive. Yeah, he was just in the Comiskey Method. Well, see, I remember that he was in Ocean's 8, which is, uh, 
he has like the one cameo, which is really funny. The one with him and that, like, you know, Matt Damon or someone that's Elliot Gold who pops up. But yeah. Um, you know, he's not alive. Natalie Wood. <laughs> she, yeah, was, she was allegedly murdered. Dun, I'm not allowed to dun, say yeah, go back, without the alleged. Go back to. Oh, Go back I was to gonna last say, episode to hear more about that. Caleb, you asked about. Sorry, I don't mean to like cut off this with Diane Cannon, but you asked me how this movie. Oh, you asked me how the movie was received by me today. This movie was a success at the time, though. I don't know if you knew that. This was like the sixth highest grossing movie of the year. It, Makes sense. Yeah. Um, like I think, I think at the time this was probably a like a pretty startling movie for a lot of people. It's just now, nah, not really. There have been. There's been 50 years of, you know, shifting opinions on sex and stuff like that. And I don't know. There's also a I think, uh, return to the screen for Natalie Wood. She had not done movies for a few years. I don't know why. When you said that, I thought you meant like there was a recent return. I mean, it was like, wait, was she like on a DC show and just visiting The Flash? they found her everybody she's she's alive (laughs) she's in the flash i guess at the end she just pops up at the end of the flash there was a tv show of this by the way it only lasted seven episodes because it was just about the couples like independently it wasn't about like swinging or anything like that it was a not well liked, I think. But Jodie Foster was in it as the daughter of Ted. I'm House. gonna, I'm gonna give my uh, my other award to Quincy Jones for the music. He did a pretty good job. Good job, Quincy. This is one of those tough ones. Uh, I'll give it production design. I feel like it didn't really do too much. Compa- like. This looks like anything that you would see in the 60s, but it's all very naturalistic, especially the hotel room. I feel like it, as soon as you walked into the hotel room, I could smell the, the mm. bathroom. It has that hotel bathroom smell. Um, so I initially was thinking of giving it the film editing, because I actually think there are moments where these scenes cut off like at the maximum funny time to cut them off. But that's not really what editing, that's, that's writing. Um, but I do think this movie has decent editing, but I'm going to give supporting actress because I think this is one of those movies where there is no lead uh, to Natalie Wood. Or I'd argue that Diane Cannon is the actual lead of the movie. I think Natalie Wood is still supporting. Uh, I really like Natalie Wood in this. I think, as I said, that scene where um, Bob tells her about the affair and how she acts it, I think is really a lot of fun choices in that scene. It's more of a comedic role even than I would say what Diane Cannon has. Um, but I think she does a really good job of what she's given. So I'll give supporting actress to Natalie Wood, even though she's first built. All right. Does someone want to ask me the question they always ask me? What are we watching next? Well, I've got great news, guys. We made it to 1970. And if you remember, we've already done part one of our 1970 episode. And that it was Scrooge way back at Christmas last year. So that was a fun time. Yeah. Our <laughs> other half. Of 1970 is the 34 Academy Awards with four nominations, no wins. Can I have a drum roll, please? Bob Raffleson's Five Easy Pieces. 
I'm interested in this one because I noticed it's in the Criterion Collection. And generally, when a movie is in the Criterion Collection, it at least has some fans, right? Granted, Love Affairs in the Criterion Collection and My Man Godfrey. But, but this is a Jack Nicholson movie. So I'm pretty interested in seeing like 1970 Jack Nicholson leading something. I always like that guy. Okay. Hey. Yeah, so you have no interest in this movie. Okay, got it. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I've I've heard the name. I it plays a part in uh Easy Riders Raging Bulls, which is you know a book I'll probably start referencing a lot now that we're in the seventies. I but... should watch Easy Rider. Not Raging Bull. I've seen Raging Bull. I don't need to watch it now. Actually that's not true. I, I don't uh, mind watching Raging Bull. I should see it again. Um I've seen neither, but I've read the the book. Raging Bull is good. Probably not that hot of a take. That Martin Scorsese made a good movie. Anyway, <laughs> um, I'm Dave Vincent. You can follow me on Letterboxd at Blank Vince. Uh, you can listen to every podcast, Looking for the Ocean, a Pixar Journey. Actually, because of how early we're recording this, Sarah will be on it pretty soon. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. She's got to watch Turning Red. It's the rule. Well, that's not what I'm, yeah. it's not what I'm covering. So. Yeah, it's not what you're covering, but <laughs> you got to watch Turning Red. Because then, then Mark, when he asked his, Mark always asks our guests, have they seen Turning Red? Did Sarah will be our first returning guest? We have to hope he, uh, he made a change in someone's life. <laughs> I'm actually, I'm sorry, I'm stalling because I'm looking. No, actually, you know what? That episode with Sarah will come out, uh, I believe, uh, this Friday of when this episode comes out. So, it's pretty cool. Uh, I'm Caleb from Caleb from the Real World. You can find me on Instagram, YouTube, and from there you can find my litany of other podcasts, Hot Trash Unlimited, Star Wars Therapy, and All New 52, which Danny is either a uh, recent guest or an upcoming guest on, um, given given uh, you know what Joe decides to do with the release schedule, but it should be coming up. Where uh, he he goes to talk about uh, comes on to talk about Dogman. Dogman. So, um, also previously mentioned, my co-host on that is our editor Joe. Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Joe, what are your Joe? What are your thoughts on monogamy? I'm a big fan. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Letterbox. Just my name. What? No, I just realized, you know, at the beginning, I was like, well, who can be our final and? And I was like, oh, well, Mary's here. And then oh. I thought, oh, it could have been Joe. <laughs> it should have been Joe. That would have worked fine. <laughs> uh, you can find my letter back. Just my name, Sarah Kadoff. You can find me on Instagram uh, at SGK29, E-S-S-G-E-K-Y-29. You can find us, The Snub Club, on Facebook, The Snub Club, Instagram, Snub Club Podcast, and Twitter, Snub Club Pod. All right, we'll see you next time with five easy pieces. Bye. See ya. Bye.